2: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
4: Bittersweet day as we open up RCST here. Football's back. Well, I guess football already was back with college football. The NFL is back tonight. The Queen died, though. So, do they delay the football game?
1: They might. I, I don't know. Push it back what? to tomorrow. Um. <laughs> no. I mean, what would they do? What should they do? Mm. Should they not play the national anthem out of respect? <laughs> Did they play the British anthem tonight? They play the British na- British national anthem. I'm gonna be honest. I don't even know the British na- national anthem. I
4: don't either. Do they have I one? mean, but I to be fair, do. I, I don't know any like other country. Well, uh, know, I've heard I of like, Canada on Yeah, occasion, Canada. You know, right? Yeah, Canada.
1: But at, besides U.S. and Canada, I don't think I would know any other ones.
4: No, I don't think I would either.
1: Uh, the wait is over, though. DraftKings
4: Sportsbook, <laughs> America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime, anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. I did one of these same-game par- same game parlays. They have a um, this like promo that you can do on DraftKings right now that you can put in a same-game parlay on tonight's game with the Bills and the Rams. You can put a $10 same-game parlay in. If you lose, you get your money back for it. And it's also they boost the odds. So depending on how many you put in there for the same game parlay, the more the odds get boosted in addition to whatever the odds already are. So tell me, because I, I basically this is uh, going to pay out eighteen to one odds if I hit it. Okay. Which of these is most likely to to mess me up? Josh Allen over two hundred forty five or two hundred fifty four and a half passing yards.
1: Feel pretty good about that one.
4: Okay. Cam Akers over thirty nine and a half rushing yards.
1: Uh, I I think. You'll probably be fine, but I don't know. Cam Akers come back he's from injury, been, he's been hurt. I think you're probably okay with that one. I'm feeling pretty I good. I think
4: I am, but again, Bills could just have a good run defense, and and what if the Rams rotate different guys? But I think I'm okay there. Yeah. Allen Robinson over 49 and a half rush or receiving yards.
1: This is where you start to lose a little mm. bit. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure on that one. I don't
4: know. Allen Robinson had a really tough year last year with the Bears, but so did every receiver. Years
1: before that, he was yeah. really good. Oh, he was a bona fide number one. I mean, yeah. probably a top fifteen receiver in the league at one point.
4: Now he's with the Rams, more creative at how to use him. Yeah, defense yeah. going to be keying in on Cooper. Okay, Cupp.
1: okay, you're getting me to buy I'm back. In. You're buying. I'm, I'm buying back in.
4: Isaiah McKenzie over nineteen and a half receiving yards. Okay, well, whatever you had bought me <laughs> in on, I'm, I'm back to.
1: I'm back to thinking this is not, uh. not going to be a good pick.
4: Yeah, I don't know. Isaiah McKenzie is someone who could, like, have zero catches tonight, and that, okay, uh, that would needs, suck.
1: He only needs, like, one 25-yard catch, thing. and you're good.
4: Yeah. So that's that's the one where it's probably the biggest coin flip. Uh, and then I, I never like betting on touchdowns, but I did with this. Cooper Cup, anytime touchdown. Yeah. She got a lot of them we last year. We looked it up yeah. game
1: or before the show. Mm-hmm. He had 16 touchdowns last season in 17 games. So your odds of him getting a touchdown here are probably pretty good, mm-hmm. you would say. Yeah. The problem is though when you do these
4: parlays, it's like, oh, on average he does this every game, but it's like just one of these doesn't have to hit for yeah. that one game for it not to work. Yeah. And then Josh Allen, anytime touchdown, so it can't be a passing touchdown, has to be a receiving touchdown or a rushing touchdown, which in my head I see him get a lot of rushing touchdowns. So that's kind of what I'm banking if on. If the here.
1: Bills are playing the Chiefs, I would say this is a guaranteed lock. <laughs> because Josh Allen just loves to run all over the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, Maybe they dial up a Philly special form or something. Mm. You know, he's he's six five, he's he's pretty fast. They get him out on a little wheel route off of a trick play for a touchdown. You know, anything's possible. Yeah, I think the ones that
4: scare me the most, I would say Isaiah McKenzie number one, Josh Allen touchdown
1: number two, Cam Akers number three. Here here's here's my question. The Chiefs lost to the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs mm-hmm. in 2017, 2016 off of Marcus Mariota throwing a touchdown pass to himself. Oh, does that count? For this bet. Would it <laughs> would that count? Would Josh Allen throwing a pass to himself for a touchdown would that cash the bet? So I have no idea how they scored
4: that. I guess in in hindsight I would think it would. I'd be kind of mad if it didn't. Yeah, so I don't know I, I think because it should.
1: But I mean it's a passing touchdown, but if he caught it, it's also a receiving touchdown. Right. For him. So I think it should. I absolutely think uh, it should. I was should. I always was I was also curious about that question of In a fantasy football, what would that look like? Would you get like 12 points for both touchdowns? Yeah. Like from the quarterback? I think so.
4: Well, you can make whatever bets you want. Uh, see if you can get something on Josh Allen throwing a touchdown pass to himself. I don't know if that's on there, but uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free. Free bets. One early win token issued at opt in. Moneyline bets only deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com/slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. All right, doing some more KU football talk. Uh when you look at week one, obviously there were a bunch of position battles that went on over the course of camp, led into the first week of the season. Maybe certain guys had edges over others. Maybe we saw certain positions where it was listed at or I think we we learned a little bit about some of those position battles. But still, given the opponent, given the score of the game, there's only going to be so much you're going to learn. Yeah, Receiver, I don't think we've learned too much because of the fact we don't know where Tanaka Scott is going to factor into this. I'm expecting Trevor Wilson to be suspended a while, so I'm not really going to expect that to maybe have a big play on, on the receiver room. But I think Tanaka Scott, when he's back in the swing of things, is probably the favorite to start at. That third receiver spot that Quentin Skinner got the spot in. But because Quentin Skinner had a good game, maybe he's able to fend him off. I, I think that the one guy who was maybe gaining a lot of hype that he would have a big impact that maybe didn't show that to be the case in week one was Doug Emelian. He only played in twelve snaps. Like I don't I don't remember him having a target in yeah, the game or I don't, I don't think he did. No. So that's one that maybe I point to and say, okay, maybe this is a guy that isn't going to factor in as much to the the receiver rotation, the the starting receivers, as, as much as some of those other guys.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of the slot, we feel pretty confident that Luke Grimm is that guy as the inside receiver. And Doug Amelian seems like the type of player that would probably play in the slot position. So as long as Luke Grimm is performing well, uh, then I, I think you're right. I don't I don't see the impact for Doug Amelian being that great because the other interesting thing to me, though, is... Andy Kolnicki has emphasized this literally every time he's spoken of. We're doing cross training. We're doing cross training. Mm-hmm. We're, we're 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 having guys all at different positions. But but Doug million I mean, to a certain point, like Doug million's not a guy you're going to line up on the outside, right? So that really limits him to only in the slot, basically. So from that standpoint, and he's behind Luke Graham, you don't know. And then yeah, I think that the discussion around Quentin Skinner and Tanaka Scott is interesting because Quentin Skinner, I think. Really played pretty well given the circumstances on against Tennessee Tech. So, when you consider that, when you consider Tanaka Scott still coming back, he's been full practicing I think for the whole week. But I mean, I I would be pretty shocked to see him have a have a a large impact on the West Virginia game. That feel that to me feels like a situation that's still going to take at least a couple more weeks. You would think before he really starts to get back on the field in an impactful way. So, you know. It, Going into the season, this was the question of the wide receivers of on a third down and medium, third down and long, who can KU go to? And right now it looks like it's Lawrence Arnold and even Luke Grimm and Quentin Skinner seems to be coming along and so it's it's a kind of interesting jigsaw puzzle where I don't know if Doug Emilian really fits in anywhere right now. That could change, obviously as the season progresses, but to me, even though we've got Kodal Nicky saying that they're cross training, doing all these different playing different positions and whatnot. A million seems like he has to be in the slot, and if Luke Grimm is there and clearly he has some some trust and a connection with Jalen Daniels, I don't know how much of a million we'll see early on in the season.
4: Mm-hmm. I think tight end we learned a little but not a ton. Like Trevor Cardell was a non-participant in the game, and I don't know if that was injury-related. I don't know if that was just a decision, but it was certainly weird because he was a guy we heard a lot about over the course of camp. And even to a point where people started to wonder if he was going to start at tight end. And he, he didn't end up playing at all offensively. So if that's something where he gets back into the rotation, that's clearly going to affect things differently than in week one. But that was quite the statement for Mason Fairchild, that he played 29 snaps in the first game. Tavita Noah and Jared Casey combined had 29 snaps in the first game. Do you view that as something where you know Mason Fairchild is just clearly the guy? Or do you think that that wasn't maybe indicative of how much a lot of those guys are going to get used? I
1: don't know if it's just like a, a size thing. Like, obviously, Fairchild is more of your prototypical tight end and looks more like a tight end as opposed to somebody like Jared Casey. But, but yeah, I mean, obviously, we've talked about it before. Jared Casey gets all this hype at the end of last season. He makes a big play, gets the Applebee's deal, all this, that, and the other. He gets on scholarship over the offseason, so people kind of – Jared Casey, in some ways, became almost a household name, right? Mm-hmm. But even with all that happening, Lance Leipold, I don't think, is the type of guy that's just going to play a guy because he's a household name or because he's made one great catch in a game that was now, you know, nine months ago, right? So from that standpoint, if Fairchild is is the be- is the best tight end, he's probably going to be the one playing, and that was the case here. Now, as we've discussed before, I think it's very plausible that we see Jared Casey on the field in a lot of different ways. That maybe not necessarily as a tight end, but as like an H-back, fullback type stuff. So I think it's it's more of you will might see both of these guys on the field at the same time, but maybe you won't see them playing the same roles. Because if you've got, you know, let's say this. If you've got Fairchild and you've got Jared Casey, and the coaching staff thinks that they're pretty comparable in terms of their abilities, right? Fairchild is the more prototypical tight end in terms of size. Jared Casey's more flexible in terms of he can play different stuff. So... Wouldn't it make the most sense to just roll out Fairchild at tight end and then use Jared Casey however you want to use him? Right. So maybe, maybe that's the standpoint of it is like they're pretty close in terms of what they can do on the field from the tight end position, but Jared Casey's more flexible and can do more things, whereas Mason Fairchild is more of your just standard tight end. So then that's where you play him. And then you use Jared Casey in whatever capacity you want to use him in. And we know there's some depth at the tight end position. Like I said, Trevor Cardell might, is probably going to be playing at some point as well, too. So, It'll just kind of depend, I feel like. But but obviously, as we talked about, these are your two highest rated run blockers from week one. So obviously, they're two guys you probably are going to want to continue to have on the field just from that standpoint, because we know how important running the football is going to be for KU. Yeah, I, I think that's
4: all pretty accurate there. Um, so I don't totally expect Mason Fairchild to be like the the clear. I, I think when Cardell comes back, like, or, or I don't know, whatever's going on there, Um I don't expect it to be like totally dominant in terms of snaps. And then Casey is just, yeah, kind of maybe playing a little bit of a different role there. As far as the position battle of one of the guard spots with Dominic Pooney or Armage Reed Adams, that's something where Armage was injured, but also Pooney played really well. So I think everything so far that we've seen from Dominic Pooney has been good, and he's answered all the questions about making the jump, but let's see it now this week against Power 5. If he performs well once again, it's probably going to be difficult for Armagerie Adams to be a starter right when he comes back, and I I don't know when he's expected to be back, um, but he didn't play in the first week of the season. But also, Armagerie Adams is someone who... You kind of expected to be the starter before the season, so that'll be kind of an interesting battle. But honestly, that's a good battle because both will probably end up playing, and you need that offensive line depth.
1: Yeah, and if you got a, if you got a guy struggling with health and Pooney's playing well, why not keep playing Pooney and let Reed Adams get fully healthy? Right, mm-hmm. that's an aspect too, I think. And also, and also, every discussion that has rev- that has been brought up with Pooney has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a guy talked about as positive, both on the field and off the field as Pooney in terms of what he's brought to the program, coming from a Division II, now to KU. And even from that standpoint, you can if you consider that, Tennessee Tech was technically an upgrade in, in competition, like you had mentioned in last earlier this week. So now he's going to take a bigger upgrade in the Big 12, and we'll see how that plays out. And obviously we know West Virginia's got a, a pretty stout D-line. So that will be something to keep an eye on. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the age-old question of if you got somebody who is struggling with health and – the backup is playing pretty well. Why not go ahead and let him get back to full health? And then even better, you got two guys with playing experience and go from there, right? Yeah. Uh we probably could mention D line as a position of interest, but I don't
4: really want to because you had fourteen different defensive linemen play double digit snaps in the game, and ten different defensive linemen played seventeen or more snaps. They're just going to rotate a lot of guys. Certainly, there are guys that are going to play more than others, but they're just going to rotate a lot of guys. Linebacker, though, is certainly an interesting position. Taiwan Berryhill looked really good. He played 47 snaps, 76 grade on Pro Football Focus. Uh, Craig Young graded really well. He had 42 snaps of play. Rich Miller played a lot of snaps again. He looked pretty good. Uh, the transfers coming in from behind didn't play as well, but they played over 25 snaps each. Lenzom Cascal at 25, Gilliard at 27. We talked about Gavin Potter earlier this week, and in, in his kind of struggles there at linebacker, to me that seems pretty more distance that Craig Young is ahead of Gavin Potter there. Um, but I think with McCaskill and Gilliard, like I don't think it's quite a a worry for Miller and Barry Hill right now to say that those guys are going to usurp them at the moment.
1: By the way, the official Nick Springer stat on the D mm-hmm. line—they rotated about a hundred guys mm-hmm. and counted, so don't, don't worry. <laughs> I counted. They rotated about a hundred guys, mm-hmm. and uh, that's very official. That's an extremely official stat. And yeah, I mean, I think we've hit on the linebackers quite a bit and talked about what they've done. and And Barry Hill was the highest rated linebacker, as you said. And so, it kind of comes back to the discussion of you've got these transfers who had a lot of hype around them. I think the linebacker core was probably the 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 position group that had the most hype in terms of transfers coming in and, and fans saying, yeah, we got these guys. We got a guy from Ohio State. We got a guy from UCF. We got a guy from Louisiana. Like, get them on the field right away. And two things. Number one, it, it might take a little bit of time for them to get acclimated. And number two, Rich Miller and Tywan Berryhill played been playing really well. So it's an interesting discussion. And then in the secondary, you got O.J. Burroughs and Marvin Grant. And Marvin Grant was another one of those guys that I thought would just come in and instantly be the starter. And that really hasn't been the case. They split time, basically, against Tennessee Tech. I don't know. I mean, O.J. Burroughs clearly, I know we've heard he has a lot of instinct at the safety position. He's not really a big guy, though, for safety. But that's an interesting position battle. But I don't really know if battle is the right term for it as much as just, like, there's – Here's two guys that are pretty good in their own ways, and they're both going to get on the field.
4: Yeah, and you can play them together. Like you can put OJ Burrows in at the nickel or kind of in the slot as a DB, and and yeah. have Marvin Grant up top. Or Marvin Grant is more of like a box safety. Like they they kind of do different things a little bit there. So I do expect that split to continue on. And honestly, I kind of expect all of these splits to continue on this week because. This will be good tape. This will be good evaluation to really help you decide some of those position battles. But I do think like in the case of Craig Young versus Gavin Potter or in the case of, you know, the way Dominic Pooney played, like I think those are probably pretty clear indications of that those guys are going to have that first crack at uh, that first, you know, starting job continuing on from what they did in week one. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got some Brian Borland audio, the KU defensive coordinator, to get to you coming up on the other side. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, will join us in less than 20 minutes. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. KU dominates over Tennessee Tech on Friday night, and obviously it wasn't the the best competition that KU was going to play this year. Starting this week, they're in Big 12 play. The rest of the games are essentially Power 5 opponents when you look at Houston joining the Big 12 next year. But what stood out to you the most in terms of making that game against Tennessee Tech so much different than maybe some years past, even though it wasn't against a Power 5 opponent?
2: Well, I think we hinted at it last week on the show without trying to sound too overly confident or braggadocious. We knew there would be a physicality mismatch, a size, strength, speed mismatch that in most cases, taken on an Ohio Valley Conference team, you should be able to impose your will uh and, and win the battle in the trenches win the speed battle on the edge and and I was kind of hinting at a at a certain amount of confidence I had that this would be a blowout but I'll be honest it, it exceeded my expectations in terms of final margin it really did but for for so many years we struggled against some better high level FCS teams and and struggled against some uh, of the upper echelon you know mid major type teams Th- this was not that you know they they were picked fifth out of sixth in the valley and and we are very much improved at, at every position group outside of receiver, I think. And so uh, that improved size, strength, speed was very much on display. And to me, the thing that was most evident, even though it, it was a domination both offensively and defensively, it, it was most evident to me in how much behind the line of scrimmage we played defensively. Uh, Twelve TFLs, the three sacks from Lonnie Phelps. He goes on to be the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. It, it was a dominating battle up front that we're not used to seeing Kansas win so convincingly. And so that, to me, stood out. But, you know, when you couple a quick three and out forced by the defense followed by an immediate scoring drive by the offense, another quick three and out by the D, immediate scoring drive by the offense, I mean, you can't script the start of the season any better. Then they finally have – uh, field position for a, a scoring attempt on a field goal, we block it, take it 61 yards to the house with Kobe Bryant. At that point, you're thinking, man, all three phases, we, we couldn't be any better. Now, it wasn't a perfect game by any means. You did have the muffed punt that uh, that Luke Grimm you know, had, had kind of um it came up on him a little bit in, in the sense that so the ball didn't travel as far and he had to sprint up to get it and, and he's normally a really sure-handed guy and i don't think that's going to happen again with them. i think that's a that's a one-time deal but um there were a couple penalties late but you know the thing that stood out beyond how opposing we were physically in the trenches was the fact that until the reserve started coming in late in the third quarter you didn't have that typical week one sloppiness where there's eight to ten penalties. And, you know, we've seen years where previous Kansas teams have had to burn timeouts because they didn't have the full personnel grouping on the field for a, a special team's play or there was indecisiveness or whatever. This was highly organized, meticulously put together, and a well-oiled machine, quite frankly. I, I want to say we had one penalty until they went to the bench, uh, and that was late third quarter. You know, and that to me, and that's not just a Kansas is getting better thing. That's a college football wide deal where you watch week one football, everybody's a little bit out of sync and a little bit sloppy. And and we didn't see that by and large from Kansas. And I think that's a credit not only to Lance Leipold at the top, but his position coaches and just how well organized they are top to bottom over there. So that, that was encouragement to see as well. A lot of good things. 14 to 15 to open the game out of Jalen Daniels. The balance with the rushing attack, which we hinted at on last week's show. I was telling you about diamond formations and stuff. We saw more triangle than diamond, but uh, how about the way they spread the ball around? And and how about real deal Devin Neal, baby? How about him uh, going for 108 on just four carries? That was fun to watch. Kai Thomas would be better. Yeah, that's probably the one guy that walked out of there thinking, dang, man, I, I missed an opportunity, seven carries, 15 yards. But, but to spread it around as much as they did and get so many different guys in the end zone, we hadn't seen, you know, six rushing touchdowns by five different Jayhawks since nineteen ninety six. Pretty sure Nick Springer wasn't alive in nineteen ninety six and, and Derek, were you even born yet? Uh probably just I was, yeah, barely in the world year at this point. Yeah, you uh, were a year old, okay. So I mean we we saw balance and uh and prosperity in the run game that we hadn't seen since I was a sophomore in high school. So that that was a great sight to see and just a lot of positives come out of it, but Going back to your original question, I just think it was the the nature with which we imposed our will on the defensive line, in particular, that was probably my favorite takeaway.
4: Well, you get to do your broadcast, obviously, with David Lawrence, former offensive lineman, tight end. Does that does that help you get a bit better appreciation for when you have a, a dominant performance from the offensive line and and from Guys like Jared Casey and Mason Fairchild, know Noah, like what they kind of did at the line of scrimmage, blocking offensively.
2: Oh yeah, you know he's always pumping those guys up, and and uh, you know I'm a more of a fantasy football generation type guy, so I'm looking at receiving and rushing stats and quarterback efficiency, and and he, he's looking at the big fellas down low and. Don't ever call him big uglies in front of David. He hates that term. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the big, handsome guys down yeah. low. And and he'll tell you that there's some of the, aptitude-wise, some of the smartest guys uh, in general in, in football are the guys in the trenches. And so uh, he was proud of him. I was proud of him. He had our eyes on him early. And and I think just, just to have a guy like Lonnie to flip over to the defensive line, it, it just looks different than the typical edge rusher we've had at Kansas. Heck, he was walking into Hawk Talk in street clothes last night, and I'm passing out the question sheets, kind of working the room like I always do before the start of the show. And the, the table that I'm passing sheets to turns and sees him walking in, and their jaws are on the floor. And they're like, "Wow, that guy plays for us!" You know. And uh, and I think that was the buzz we all kind of had when he first committed. And there was some pictures of him out there in the canvas uniform, and he just barrel chested, huge biceps, big big, broad-shoulder-type guy. He just looks different, and he plays different, too. And it'll be much, much tougher against the tackles of, of West Virginia to try to, to get to JT Daniels, obviously. But uh, to see him impose his will and to have some fun doing it. And we were talking on the broadcast, I and mean, it looked like the, the post-sack energy of Neil Smith with the home run swing or... Gilbert Brown is a little before your time, but but the grave digger with the uh, Green Bay Packers used to dig a grave to bury the quarterback in after he sacked him. Lance doesn't want Lonnie to do any of that, let's be clear. And, and I know on good accord that Lance talked to him afterwards be careful not not to get any uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. But, man, he's kind of strutting around. He's screaming to the heavens. He's flexing his biceps. And, and that's fun, man. That that's, that's Dorrance Armstrong amped up a bit. And, and I love seeing that. So hopefully that's that's the first of many big days for Lonnie Phelps. They won't all be as easy as that one was, but hopefully we could see a lot more of that as we keep going.
4: We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. You can hear the action on KLWN this Saturday at 5 o'clock with pregame starting at 3.30, also on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, so what sticks out to you the most about this matchup with West Virginia, whether it's individual players you got the battle of jay daniels at quarterback or if it's team related that you think is going to be the biggest key to ku competing and possibly pulling off the road
2: upset well i i think that uh the, the thing that i'm most intrigued to see from their personnel is cj donaldson at running back who in high school was a wide receiver tied in was listed as a tight end prior to last week. And then on his first carry as a collegiate player, goes 44 yards and winds up with a buck 25 and a touchdown. I'm curious to see how, how we contain the running game with him. I'm curious to see what our DBs do against Bryce Ford Wheaton, who went for, you know, nine catches, 97 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, he was preseason all league coming in and he has that showing, uh, you know, on the road at a top 20 school on national TV, right out the gate. And so you know, how, how does our defense at all three levels stack up a week later when all of a sudden the skill position talent is just leaps and bounds greater than what you saw from Tennessee tech quarterback matchup is interesting, certainly. And, and when you're facing a guy that was five stars coming out of high school and has played at Georgia and USC, uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're up against a, a different kind of animal compared to week one with oats fall, but Uh, you know, can we get pressure on him? Can we rattle his cage a little bit? Can Lonnie Phelps, even if he's not getting the sack and TFL numbers that he had in week one, can he be disruptive enough to force Daniels to hurry? Uh these are all things that I'm probably most intrigued to see. I have confidence that that we'll move the ball. I don't think we're gonna score at Will, but I think we'll move the ball and I have confidence in, in our guys offensively with the Moxie of our Daniels, uh, you know, to to make stuff happen there. But is, is our defense able to get some stops? And and I just hope, you know, for Kansas's sake, this is a game where, even if we don't match them drive for drive early in scoring, like we talked about a week ago, having something positive happen offensively every drive where you're at least flipping the field, you're at least moving the chain some, because that's going to keep your defense fresher. It's going to keep time of possession and controlling the ball on Kansas's side. And it's going to force JT Daniels to work with the long field each time. Over the course of a dozen years of, of struggling and, and, and getting dominated many times away from home, the recipe was always dig a 17, 24 point hole right out the gate with, you know, ill timed turnovers deep in your own end of field and, and you know, forcing your defense to be out there over and over again because you were three and out offensively. I think that we're close to having those days in the rearview mirror, if not so already. And so, you know, playing complimentary football where the offense is moving the ball enough to keep our defense fresh and, and put a little bit of pressure on West Virginia. I'm not saying we wind up playing from out in front the whole half or anything like that, but if we can stick and stay and hang around in the first half, I think the odds grow bigger and bigger as the game goes on and, and the collar gets tighter and tighter for uh, you know for the, for the home team. So those would be my hopes for Kansas. But to me, it all starts with how does our defense perform against now not only high major conference competition but like individual talent that is all conference high major conference caliber competition does that make sense like like a Bryce Ford Whedon that dude wasn't getting off the bus for Tennessee Tech let's just be honest right and and JT Daniels you know with his pedigree was, was not anything like Oates Fall and so what does it look like against those types of guys one week later that to me will tell us a lot
4: well, the voice of the Mountaineers, Tony Caridi, we had him on the show earlier this week. And, uh, you know, beyond the great information he gave us with West Virginia, he also has appointed uh, myself and Nick to the Brian Haney Statue Committee. So do you have any suggestions on, uh, I guess we're, we're going to try to get you a statue somewhere.
2: A statue? Yeah, said, <laughs> I, I thought you said the stats committee, like, we need better numbers. A statue? Oh, my gosh. Tony. Tony's a character, man. That that guy, he he's kind of a big brother to me, and, and I have respect him so much, but he's got such a great sense of humor. When we added West Virginia and TCU 11 years ago, we got two of the best personalities in the play-by-play chairs in the country added to this league, and they've just made it so much more fun, Brian Estridge and, and Tony Caridi. So... I don't know about a statue man maybe you give me a, a an action figure at the shack at KJHK which is the the old uh student radio uh you know brick house up the road from memorial stadium that's about all I deserve but uh but no I that's that's nice of tony to say he's hilarious and he'll have a great call I'm sure and and uh he's a legend up there he, if anybody's statue worthy it's it's that guy in Morgantown but while I've not been thinking about that this week, I have been pouring over the roster, as you know, uh, comprehensively trying to come up with a, a name of the week. And, and I think I've got one for you. And, and I think you're going to love this one in particular. And uh, I've been practicing the pronunciation. I think we're ready. But defensive back, Moo Moo Benwahad. Moo wow. Moo Wahad is, is your name of the week. 5'10", buck seventy nine, out of Atlanta, Georgia, Moomoo, oh, see, that sounds like a ben big Wahid. tight
4: end or something i was i was pretty surprised when you gave me the heights what's the uh what's the the state yeah, or country of origin guy.
2: uh good question uh, he's from atlanta georgia uh, i'm sure you know ben wahad is is farther away than that but uh yeah i i think when i hear moomoo it, it makes me think of mamadou which are very different names but there used to be a, a Baylor shot blocker named Mamadou GN. He still goes to all the games. He lives in Waco. Big, big, tall kid. And uh, they made t shirts back then that said, Nobody blocks shots like our Mamadou. <laughs> 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 and I always thought that was great. So, so Mumu bin Wahad made me think of Mamadou GN for some reason, even though they're very different players and very different names. But look for Mumu. Listen for Mumu bin Wahad and and then we'll keep you know we talked last week about how nicknames are organic they are earned they they aren't always you know concocted ahead of time and and the best organic nickname that came out of week 1 was Kobe Bryant's on the field goal block and return of 61 yards instead of the other Kobe Bryant being Black Mamba he's the Hawk Mamba and so we're we're riding with Hawk Mamba the rest of the way with our Kobe Bryant's for the Kansas Jayhawks. There were one or two more that came up, but I think that was our favorite one from week one. But I'll continue to keep you posted as the season unfolds.
4: Yeah, we love it. Well, Brian, um, have a great call on Saturday. Have fun down in uh, Morgantown. And uh, before we let you go, word from Nate Miller.
2: That's right. The Miller Retirement Group is uh, our proud sponsor two years in a row now. They want to help you with your financial planning and investments to take you into a promising and prosperous future. So check them out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. They'd love to sit down with you, and whether you have a portfolio already or or if you're just building one for the first time, they'd love to sit down and look at your assets and and make the most uh, responsible decisions for your financial future. So check them out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Always a pleasure, bud, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully talking about more buzz and, and more ascension for these upstart Kansas Jayhawks that really do seem to look the part, and feel a whole lot different here in 2022.
4: Well, thanks again, Brian. And uh, again, you can hear him on the call on Saturday. Have a good weekend. You too, bud. All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer.
0: Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered
4: individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson and Nick Springer. One hour down, two to go here on FM 1017. At 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. It's the 4 o'clock hour here, and let's go over some big stuff about what happened in week one of college football. I mean, certainly Alabama and Georgia look great, but I guess the flip side of that, in addition to Utah losing to Florida, is the Pac-12
1: already dead? <laughs> is the Pac-12 ever going to have a good... I mean, is there ever going to be any good storyline related to the Pac-12? I mean, I feel like for the past quite a while, honestly, every every time the Pac-12 gets uttered, it's very negative. It's Pac-12's dead, Pac-12, whatever. When are we going to have something positive about the Pac-12, Derek? Can we can
4: we get some positivity around the Pac-12 here? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think we will. No, yeah, it's like uh, the Captain I mean, America got... and Avengers meme. No, I don't think I will.
1: I mean, you got nobody at the UCLA game. Mm-hmm. You got you know, Which, by the way, to that, Travis Goff, or, or if
4: you're any team who, like, you would love to join the Big Ten, um... Uh, but specifically if you're a team who's trying to join the Big 10 like Kansas who hasn't had the best football team like Kansas who hasn't had the best football attendance in years past obviously you know you feel like things are changing and they're building momentum but in terms of years past i'd be on the phone and be like listen we just drew 35,000 to a game against Tennessee Tech did you see what UCLA did they claimed they had like 25,000 or something no, there was no like, chance if you was saw the like, picture maybe 10,000 yeah oh maybe <laughs> I was thinking, like, <laughs> 500. There's, like, nobody there. Nobody there. So I'd be calling them and be like, listen, you brought UCLA into the Pac-10? Big or 10? into the Big Ten?
1: <laughs> like, come on. Come on. This is just further evidence to me. I don't know if you saw, but Pitt set an attendance record for their game against West Virginia. This is just further evidence to me that people care about regional games. They care about regional rivalries. And they what they don't care about is UCLA flying 4,000 miles to play Indiana in week seven of the college football season, okay, or vice versa, whatever, right? So I understand it's all about the money grab, it's all about the TV, this, that, and the other, but I mean, if, if you're an athletic director, you got to be looking at just this first weekend. Like I said, Pitt set an attendance record, it was one of the greatest atmospheres I've ever seen for that game against West Virginia. Like, these regional games, they they matter. So even, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with, with UCLA, USC joining the Big Ten, whatever, but if you if you still want to drum up support for your program, if you still want to create excitement, scheduling those games against regional teams, against rivalry teams, very very much matters, and it's it's clearly what the fans care about. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of being at the games and everything, like, yeah, it's it's like I said, it, it's disappointing, but I don't understand how you could look at it from the other viewpoint of this is what that, those are the games that fans really care about. You know, I mean, you can make your fifty million a year in the big in the Big Ten if you're UCLA, and you're going to have an average attendance of 8,000 people at your games. I mean, you know what? Like, I guess it's fine for – I guess that's that's fine for those guys. I don't know.
4: I mean, if when when we asked the question of the Pac-12 already being dead, like, obviously it's not. Like, if USC goes undefeated, like, they'll make the playoff. You know what I mean? Um, the Utah one is interesting now. Because, that was bad. That was bad. And it's not even like – okay, for instance, Alabama last year. Obviously made it to the title game, right? Yeah. Alabama almost lost to Florida at Florida. It was, what, a three-point win for Alabama? Florida's not a bad team. No, no, exactly. Like, Florida's, I, I think... Mean, they're, it, But they're like an 8-4, and 7-5. Exactly. So, so, here's the thing. If Georgia, hypothetically this year, or Alabama, pick one of the two. If Georgia or Alabama loses a road game against an SEC team like an Ole Miss or a Florida or a Kentucky by three points on a game that could have gone your way if a call would have gone your way on a QB sneak or if you don't throw a dumb interception in the end zone at the end of the game, right? Those teams would still be fine and make the playoff. Yes. And obviously it's different because they play a harder schedule around that to make up for it. My point here is that it shouldn't disqualify Utah that they lost a road game to because that could happen to any good team that you lose a conference road game. But the problem is it will be held against them because it is their one sample size against an SEC team and they lost by three. So it's going to be held against them to the standpoint of like if there's a two loss, you know, SEC team, like imagine if Texas AM is a 10 and two. They would probably get in over. They game. might.
1: They probably would. I'm pretty confident they would. And that's the My downside of that. Is, which, do you, is, which do you think is worse for the Pac 12? Oregon getting just destroyed into oblivion, or Utah or Utah losing by three. I think it's Oregon. It's got to be Oregon.
4: They lost. I mean, that, <laughs> they weren't even on the same tier, and that was the team that's like favored to win the Pac-12. Uh, no, I keep saying that. I keep forgetting I don't think they forget the favorite. divisions. No, I was yeah, I was gonna say the Pac-12 North because oh. they do have the highest odds of the actual North teams. But I keep forgetting they got rid of the darn division, so it just makes whatever. Yeah,
1: so I mean, it could be Utah, USC, but they the yeah
4: ex- yeah. So they they are one of the You know, top three teams in the Pac 12 just behind like Utah and USC to win it. That's not a good sign. Maybe Oregon just won't be that good this year, and maybe that'll be okay for the Pac 12. Like, if Oregon's just a six and six team, you know, they've had years where. Well, like, remember. um, That's bad. Remember when Alabama just like beat down Florida State to begin the year like five, six years ago? And this was coming off Florida State like actually being good for a a sustained period of success. I think the year before they had just gone to the, the Orange Bowl and like beat Michigan with Dalvin Cook. Okay. And then they had that blow out to Alabama and it was a big deal big win for Alabama and that that Florida State team ended up finishing like five and seven I think that was the last year of Jimbo Fisher being at Florida State like what if that happens for Oregon it would not be good especially for
1: their their chances of joining the Big Ten no it wouldn't
4: it wouldn't um and on one hand it'd be bad because that would be a traditionally good school for the Pac-12 not doing well but also it would be it would almost be easier to accept, like, hey, one of your premier programs lost, and then you could just, by that much to Georgia, you could just point to it and say, no, they were just never good.
1: See, this is where KU, being not the best at football, might actually end up helping them. because <laughs> right, I want to hear this spin. Because, think about it this way. KU basketball gets blown out by whoever, right? But then they still end up winning, you know, 28 games, whatever, right? Whereas Oregon gets blown out by Georgia in football. And maybe they end up winning. Maybe, let's say, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they go 8-4. and four. That looks worse if you're trying to join the Big Ten than if KU gets blown out in November by Kentucky or whatever and then it still ends up winning the Big, Big 12 title in basketball, right? So, it's actually better that they're not as good in football because if they were good in football and they lost some games, it would be held more against them <laughs> Then in the case of back. because people
4: are watching more, basically, I don't know. I I don't think I can buy into. You don't that. buy that? No, oh. I like the spin. I, I don't, like don't, I trying guess to get. I didn't sell it well enough. No, I don't. Um, but yeah, the Pac-12 not in good shape already early in the season. Um, the SEC, though, like this is this is how it happens every year, right? They have and deservedly so. Like if if you're gonna beat Utah and stuff, like it's it's not like it's undeserved. Um, but this is how it happens. We get to the middle of the season. We get to the end of the season, and you know you're in week 12 and you have Mississippi State who's 6 and 4 but they're ranked 21st and you have you know eight yeah. SEC teams are ranked in the top 20 even if the records are 7 and 3 6 and 4 whereas other power 5s you might be 8 and 2 and you might be behind a uh, 7 and 3 SEC school this is how it happens because what happens is they win these non conference games they beat the utahs then they inflate the rankings florida's now ranked 12th i don't think florida's a top 12 team but you can see why they would move up there after the first week of the season and only having that one game of sample size. They jumped to twelve? Yeah, and they people.
1: They weren't even ranked.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then all of a sudden what's going to happen is that somebody is going to beat Florida. like Kentucky this week plays Florida. I think Florida's going to win. But just hypothetically, uh, oh. some a situation like Kentucky. this. Kentucky's going to beat Florida and then Kentucky.
1: They're going to be like number five.
4: Exactly, <laughs> because they're going to move because the win. So it's just like a it's it's like almost Cannibalism with the SEC, like they just they get a couple big non-conference wins, it boosts up the rankings of some of these other teams that, like obviously Georgia and Alabama are that good, but it boosts up some of the other teams that are ranked further down along the list, and then it just creates a cycle of once they start beating up on each other, it just becomes these oh no, but they're getting these great wins
1: and they're they're not losing to bad teams. Listen, nobody would be more upset about Kentucky beating Florida than John Calipari, because then they'd have to be a football school. They would. They'd have to be. He'd ha- he would have to bend the knee to football. <laughs> And he's not going to do it. Any, so listen, think, anytime I get a chance to to talk bad about John Calipari, I'm taking it. So you think John Calipari he's going to be wearing like a
4: Florida jersey for
1: the game? He won't be showing <laughs> up
4: in public in Lexington, but like at home. Yeah, no, he
1: definitely will not be going out in public. <laughs> he definitely he can't risk he can't risk being mm-hmm. spotted in public, uh, either a rooting for Florida or b even worse rooting for Kentucky. <laughs> well, you know what the the,
4: the flip side to the uh, Oregon blowout for the SEC here is. I, I feel stupid even asking this because of how much they lost. But I mean, with how good they looked, is Georgia better this season?
1: They, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, offensively, you could say they're better. Defensively is where they lost most of their guys. So maybe when they play a real offense, we'll see. But listen, yeah, I don't. I don't. Bo Nix is not very good. Stetson Bennett is the most elite game manager of all time. <laughs> yeah. The most elite game manager of all time, greatest uh-huh. greatest game manager of all time. I mean, but listen, when you're throwing to six foot seven, two hundred and seven pound guys group. Oh that can gosh. jump like forty five inches, mm-hmm. like yeah, put me in a quarterback, I'll go lead some <laughs> touchdown drives. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing right there. Like,
4: I think I don't think Stetson Bennett should be. I don't know. We'll wait and see. Like, I don't Stetson, want to discount for Heisman? That's the thing. Like, he, his odds are moving up there. He's he's one of the the top ten favorites right now. Um, but if
1: you were to break down, like, his exactly. average yards per throw, it'd be, like, three. But he's getting, like, 20 yards every yeah. play.
4: And there are certain things that he does. Like, I don't want to take away everything. Like, the one the one touchdown he throws where he's scrambling all over the field, makes it happen. Like, he actually is really good at creating plays in the pocket and stuff like that. But, yeah, you're right. I mean... The guys that he has around him—that's what makes it. And and like you said, he's he's great as a game manager. Like he he deserves credit for that. He is a solid quarterback. I think enough so that he could earn all SEC honors. That maybe he's even like a late round draft pick in the NFL is like a future long term backup, like yeah. the Chase yeah. Daniel role. Exactly. You know, I was
1: about to say that. I think Stetson Bennett is the perfect backup NFL quarterback. He's got the name for it. He's got the game manager type play for it. It it fits.
4: Mm-hmm. It fits. It's kind of like Mac Jones, honestly, a few years ago. Like you had like Devontae yeah. Smith, Jalen Waddle, and all these receivers around you. Have all these stud running backs, first round linemen in front of you, and you just, you know, you just have an efficient season where you don't turn the ball over and you complete your passes you're supposed to. Short passes, you don't do anything stupid, and you're going to put up unbelievable numbers. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think Georgia. Wait and see because it's just one week, but like I don't think it's that crazy of a question because I think the offense is better. Yes. Would you agree with that yes. this year than last I think, year? I think the offense
1: is better, Yes, based on just week one. Right. Uh, again, I think I think the question is the defense, because they lost like seven guys. I guess, yeah. that Who defense. are
4: like real NFL players yes. off the defense, not yes. just losing guys to graduation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the defense, though, they're not going to – because last year's defense was historically good, right? Yes. So if you go from a defense, though, that was giving up whatever it was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 points per game last year, they still have NFL dudes on the team. They still have yep. a bunch of first-round draft picks. They still yep. have a bunch of five-star recruits. If they go from giving up twelve points per game to giving up fifteen or sixteen points per game, but the offense is way better, like maybe they could be better than last year. Yeah. So would you? Because I, I preseason Alabama was my title pick. Yep. I picked Bama too. Would you be willing to go to Georgia now? After week Did one, you see enough? No. I mean, maybe Bama still couple dominated couple Utah State.
1: Yeah. Maybe after a couple more weeks, and obviously, Bama is playing Texas this weekend. So if you know if Bama just railroads Texas and beats them forty-five to ten or whatever, then mm-hmm. I think. Regardless of what Georgia does, you have to say Bama is still probably the best. But yeah, we'll have to give it some time. This d- might be prisoner of
4: the moment, but there's a part of me that thinks that because of how last year happened in the title, right, with John Mechie getting injured, Jamison Williams getting injured for Alabama, oh, yeah. there was so I, I, much talk. I do
1: think most people, most people agree, or most people that were paying attention agree that if Bama was fully healthy, they probably won right.
4: that. And I think that could serve as an extra chip on your shoulder motivation that you don't normally get off a title year if you're Georgia. To yeah. where it's like, listen, you're trying to discount it.
1: I don't. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm starting let's, to switch. Let's go over. do it again. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. I'm swi- uh, switching over.
1: Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about App State. I was going to say, Carolina. what was
4: your favorite game over the weekend? Was App, State, it App State, State, North Carolina. North Carolina. The Houston uh, UTSA Houston game was UTSA awesome. UTSA was
1: pretty fun. But... I mean,
4: honestly, South
1: Dakota State, Iowa was awesome for a whole other reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here, listen. This is this. This was the roller coaster of App State, North Carolina. <laughs> You're thinking, dude, this is awesome. This is the greatest game of all time. This is the great then it's like so that was eleven AM game, right? So then it's like two thirty. You're like, dude, this game's awesome. (laughs) Then it's like two forty five and you're like that now you're starting to like hit this moment where it's like, okay, now I really just want this game to end so I can put the two o'clock games on my TV. Mm -hmm. Then it's four fifteen, still going. And you're like, dude, please just put me out of my misery here. If Somebody win this game so I can flip on literally <laughs> any other game. It was absolutely insane. I mean, it was wild. You have the North Carolina guy picking it up and going to score on the onside kick, which which inadvertently gave Appalachian State a second chance, like a second lease on life to win the game. I mean, just and they they had met, and that was coming off of they had just missed the wide open two point conversion to take the lead to that which forced them to kick that onside kick. Yeah. They had a guy wide open and Chase Bryce overthrew him. That was to win the game. Because then they would have just kicked it off, and it would have been North Carolina with 20 seconds. I it mean, might have been too much time. Carolina <laughs> might have got a field goal. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I mean, just just an incredible game. But yeah, the the roller coaster of emotions was like for the 11 a.m. game, it was great. But then then it got to like 2:30, 3 o'clock, and you're like, oh, dude, I only have three TVs, and I'm trying to put on more <laughs> more two o'clock games. This game needs to end. So it was just absolute madness. What an incredible game. I mean, I think the over/under for that game was like in the fifties, and obviously both teams scored over sixty, so they doubled mm-hmm. the they doubled the over/under, just 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 wild. Yeah, that w- that was so much, and that's. And F State is playing Texas A and
4: M. That could be an Ooh, upset game. That I could like be that. An upset game this week because A and M looked. Uh, I mean, they still got an easy win over Sam Houston State, but yeah. there were times where uh, they looked maybe well, they came also, a little shaky. They
1: also had to endure like a seventeen-hour. Yeah, delay. they did. That's another Springer, guaranteed fact right there. Seventeen-hour. 17-hour <laughs> I'm just going to start making a list of all the the official. But see, Springer stats.
4: Those are the games that that make this fun because, like, I this is uh, something I want to do here when we're talking college football as the season goes on. It it doesn't really apply week one, but like, it's gotten to such a point where it's hey, just all the conversation is about who's going to make the playoff. Do they have a chance of making the playoff? And once you don't have a chance to make the playoff, you're not being talked about anymore. Um, but like, yeah, I know you want to talk about Iowa. Well, like that that is what makes college football what it is. It's it's not as much about. What's happening with the playoff? It's those Appalachian State North Carolina games. It's the Houston UTSA game where yeah. you have these two great group of five teams battling into whatever it was quadruple overtime, and then the Iowa game where you win seven to three off two safeties. <laughs> if you had to pick, um, because Clemson put up the most phony forty-one points ever,
1: they did. I think we talked about this. But yeah, I bet. I bet the. I bet a Georgia Tech plus mm-hmm. twenty-three and a half, and I thought I was sitting pretty. No way Clemson scores that many points.
4: It, it, and then the thing did. is with like Iowa, if Iowa even had like a top 60 offense, they would they would probably be an 11-win team. I don't know, they might Every be a year. playoff contender. Clemson is kind of the same thing right now. Like Clemson last year had the best defense in the country. Their offense wasn't even in the top 100 and they still won 10 games. So if you give Clemson a top what, 80, 70 offense, they're a playoff team? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they might be competing with Bama and Georgia at that point. And that's part of the beauty of college football, too. You get these teams who are so one-sided. You get the Texas Techs, not really as much anymore, but like you think of you know, during the day 10 years ago, whatever, with Patrick Mahomes or with Mike Leach, where it's all offense, no defense. Or you have these teams like Iowa and Clemson, which is all defense, no offense. It's the beauty of the sport that you get these different (laughs) schemes and philosophies, and and it's just so much fun. You
1: You may have seen the memes where it was like, imagine trying to explain the sport of football to somebody using only the scores of... North Carolina Appalachian State and Iowa and South Dakota State. And, and trying to explain to somebody, this is the same game. This is mm-hmm. these 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 four teams you can't. we're playing we're playing the same sport. And this is what happened. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm
4: Derek Johnson. Let's get on to our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. We're gonna have Andy Stewart, the head coach of the KU Rugby Club, next. We're back for our KU Club interviews. Derek Johnson and Nick Springer, and we're joined now by Andy Stewart, head coach. For the KU rugby team, and uh, we, we really enjoyed last year getting to kind of fall along with everything. You make it all the way to the championship match, and and I guess before we get into some of the stuff for this year, just real quick with the way last season finished. Obviously, the final result wasn't the one that you wanted there, but just getting to go all the way to the title game, getting to you know play down in Frisco, I, I believe it was Frisco, Texas, right, and, and being there for professional rugby game and playing it like just the whole situation, how it all went. How much fun was really last season and, and everything you got to kind of do at the end?
3: Yeah, Derek, thanks for having me. It was a culmination really of uh, a lot of hard work and, and at the same time, really good fun. we had a really good group of young men representing the college and, and the club side as well. And yeah, that trip down to Arlington, Texas, where we played Fresno State was was amazing. It's a, a massive stadium. It's the old. Uh, it was one of the old baseball stadiums. I think it's got capacity of about 70,000. Um, and we got to play right before the, um, the Dallas Jackals game, which was pretty amazing, you know, really awe-inspiring kind of experience being in that atmosphere. Yeah, we didn't quite get the result we wanted on the day, but at the same time, um, to be able to compete at that level and be so close, uh, and we had some opportunities, but, you know, it was one of those games that sometimes those those games that you don't mind losing because it was so tough and... We played really, really well. We played our hearts out. Um, and I know all the boys walked away from there, you know, heavy hearted for not winning the game. But on reflection, they looked at it as such a wonderful experience, no matter the result. And Fresno were a terrific team. All credit to them. And they were great guys off the pitch as well.
4: And so coming into this year, you know, now the expectations are a little bit higher coming off that great season. Uh, did you lose a lot from last year? Do you bring a lot back? What's kind of the team looking like at the beginning of this season?
3: Yeah, we didn't lose uh, too many seniors, which is which is really good for consistency, mind you. And and yeah, that pressure of last year hanging over your head as a coach and as a player um, can be tough to deal with. Uh, but we've come out uh, this year with with some new patterns and stuff, which I've been sort of a couple of guys have asked me why we're doing that. Why why aren't we sticking to what we did last year? And you've always got to evolve, right? And It's my job as a coach to make these players uh, better and better every year. So we're trying a few new things this year, which is pretty exciting, and I think will bring us some good results.
4: We're talking with Andy Stewart, head coach for the KU Rugby team. Our KU Club interview is brought to you by Johnny's Tavern here in Lawrence. And um, I guess it's interesting because we're just in, I don't know, the second or third week of school for KU. You guys have already started up, had your first matches of the season. I'd imagine that's, that's a pretty quick turnaround because this isn't something like you know, necessarily, where in football you're bringing in your 20 man recruiting class, and they all know they're coming, or they might be coming for summer workouts. I'm sure there is a certain bit of you know guys finding out about the KU rugby team and reaching out over some points in the off season and wanting to join, but that maybe you don't have as much time for those newcomers to to get involved with the team and everything. So, what is that like at the early portion of the season? Is it a lot of just kind of the returning guys, and and you're letting some of the newcomers maybe uh, get? acclimated with everything on on kind of the developmental like jv type
3: of team yeah it's i mean it's it's always hard every year to make sure that we're and to account for how many guys we're going to have so this year we've we've registered 50 new players which is awesome um and that's great for a rugby team so uh some of those guys are new players some of them are returning players we had a couple of tabling events up on campus we also ran a preseason camp which we put a bit of hype out through socials so you kind of gather guys together that way but I think we'll see more and more guys coming out in the next couple of weeks and we're very fortunate in that every weekend this semester we've booked two games so we've got our Heart of America competition games coming up starting this Friday but then after that game we always run our what we call our club side which is our developmental side where we can uh, educate new players on the game but also find those diamonds in the rough that You know, have a skill set that all of a sudden uh, relates really well to rugby and and they uh, quite often will move up into that collegiate side as well. So I expect we'll pick up more guys in the next couple of weeks. Mm
4: -hmm. And how does that work now? Like, have you noticed more people reaching out before the season even starts or when there may be seniors in high school or anything talking about, hey, when I come there, like, I want to join the team?
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, we get a lot of guys reaching out from high school. Uh, in fact, I just met a, a senior in high school on the weekend that wanted to come out and see what our program was all about. So that's a good way of recruiting. And social media, our uh, social media presence has really, really helped us in that regard. And I think it's a really good way to communicate with young people these days. So we rely pretty heavily on that for a lot of our recruitment stuff.
4: So when you guys, if I don't know if anybody's listening to this and they're like, you know, I, th- I think I want to go out, but I don't totally know. Uh, what are what are the practices uh, as far as the schedule like? You mentioned games on the weekend and everything. Uh, I guess what's kind of the schedule to be expected if, if you want to join the team?
3: Yeah, so we, we train every Tuesday and Thursday, 6 to 7.30 out at Westwick Rugby Complex, which is at the south end of town. Uh, you can find it on Google Maps and anyone is welcome to come along. We don't hold tryouts. We try to get everyone involved and, and we get everyone a, a bit of game time. We've had two um, pretty tough pre what we call preseason trial matches in the last two weekends and then we're travelling this Friday to K-State to take on K-State under lights on Friday night and that will be the start of our Heart of America competition which which will run for about the next eight weeks intermingled with a couple of club games as well. Uh, we've also got 10 of our guys uh, heading out to Aspen to represent the Heart of America in the Heart of America Select side on the 15th of September at Aspen Ruggerfest, so that that will be good. But we've also got a club side game on that weekend as well. So um, lots of rugby to be had, uh, lots of good times as well.
4: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. So you mentioned the, the gaming of Kansas State. Is that on the road or is that going to be here at home?
3: No, that's in Manhattan mm-hmm. under their lights out there. It'll be... Always a tough, gritty game with those guys. A bit of a rivalry going on, which is awesome to see in rugby. So, uh, yeah, it should be an exciting night.
4: And when is your guys' first home heart matchup?
3: I think it's the uh, two weekends uh, after that. So that must be around the 23rd, 20, yeah, something like that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're against Mizzou that weekend. i would have to double-check the schedule. The schedule's on uh, out on our social pages. It's pretty easy to find. So um, if you're interested, have a look.
4: Okay, so I'd highly recommend going to that. As you mentioned, you could have a Missouri game. Uh, It's just super fun to be out there to begin with. Um, uh, I I guess as far as ways that people can can kind of help out the club headed into this year, obviously whether it's travel expenses, just going to games, uh, supporting you guys in some way, if there's any fundraisers, what do you guys kind of have going on this year? Like what kind of fan support are you looking to try to uh, add to, I guess?
3: Sure. We... We're always very proud of the home uh, events that we stage and, and there's opportunities there to donate to the club, which is great. We all, we're also running our social member campaign again this year, which will be $50 and you get a hat, film access, uh, parking out at the field and uh, um, also invitations to special events. Um, and you can always donate through our, our website um, and, through our, and you can connect through our social media as well um, for any donations because we, we do have a fairly large travel budget, obviously, not only in the heart of America, but also um, our first weekend we traveled out to Colorado to play Colorado University. And we're always looking uh, for opportunities to travel uh, so that we give the guys a really rounded experience on what rugby is all about. And that's, you know, as much as it is on the field, it's social as well. Well, obviously everything that happened with the
4: playoffs was in the spring last year. Is that kind of unique challenge to, you mentioned playing all these heart matchups for the next eight weeks and then... I don't know, are you guys off for a few months before you get back into play? Is that difficult to transition
3: from being in the heat of things to all of a sudden then just going into the playoffs? Yeah, we we basically off from mid-November through to mid-February. And what we did last year, I think it worked in our favor, was we played a lot of men's club rugby teams, which tend to be that more physical game, and that really prepared us for the physicality of Fresno. So we'll continue to do that this year. We'll keep extending ourselves and trying to play tougher and tougher matches. I mean, the last two weekends... We just played two D1A schools, so um, you know, really tough matchups for us. And while the results didn't go our way, it kind of sets a new bar for us to kind of reach to, which is really good for our boys.
4: Well, Andy, I appreciate the time as always. We'll have to get you on again, uh, maybe toward the end of the season and uh, see how everything's going uh, as far as that goes. But, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, see if I'll try to be able to make it out to that Missouri matchup. That should be a fun one.
3: Yeah, thanks, Derek. Always good to chat.
4: All right, that's Andy Stewart, head coach for the KU Rugby Club. Went to the national championship last year. We'll see uh, what's in store this year. That's our KU Club interviews. We're going to continue on. If you have any clubs that you want to reach out to have on the show, feel free to reach me on social media or here at the uh, offices. We're brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, great place to stop by. Feel like you can uh, be part of the family there. Go by, watch a game. Maybe go reminisce with Rick about some uh, rugby action going on. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Coming up after the show today, uh, another edition of High School Sports Weekly. I'm going to be out at Burgers by Biggs. You should swing by, whether you're coming for the show or just to get food, because the burgers are delicious. They got hand-scooped ice cream, house-cut fries, all sorts of stuff. So come on out to Burgers by Biggs. I'm going to be out there at 6 o'clock for High School Sports Weekly, joined by the Free State High School football team. So that's exciting to have them out. And then we're going to lead into pregame coverage for the uh, Lawrence High football game. They're taking on Olathe West on the road over at Seaback. Joel Becker, Matt Llewellyn will be on the call of that one. All right, we've got a KU mailbag to get to for the week. couple questions coming in, the first of which from Kansas Flatbilly. That's the Twitter name. I don't know his actual name. Um, he said, what team are we playing in a bowl game? I need to budget my keg money accordingly. Love like the it. optimism. Yep, I like it. Love the uh the the purchasing of ke- of kegs I guess um, okay so I'll just say this like if you look at the Big 12 bowl tie-ins the they have an order of like okay the number one Big 12 team goes here or the it, it's not always the number one team it's sometimes. We have the first pick of who we want to invite. We have the second pick of who we want to invite. So technically you could have if you have the third pick of your bowl and Oklahoma finished fourth in the Big Twelve, you might invite Oklahoma over the third place team if you think it's going to draw more fan attendance or more interest into your game, right? Um yep. but the number five bowl and the number six bowl, that is the AutoZone Liberty Bowl and the guaranteed rate bowl. So those are the last picks. I'm assuming if Kansas makes it to a bowl game this year, it's probably gonna be because they go six and six. It's probably not gonna be because they go nine and three, right? Um, So if they go 6-6, and they're going to be one of the lower-picked teams. That's why you would go to those. Now, they do have other bowl tie-ins outside of the main six. Um, There are a couple bowl games with the Armed Forces Bowl and the First Responder Bowl, which do not have a direct tie to the Big 12, but it's kind of like it could be a Big 12 team or it could be this team or it could be this team based on who is bowl-eligible that season. Armed Forces Bowl is in Fort Worth. First Responder Bowl is at the Cotton Bowl. So you could drive down to, to Texas, go get your keg, or, or bring it with you. You'll be good to go for the bowl game.
1: Where's the uh, Guaranteed Rate Bowl?
4: I want to say it was like Alabama. I feel like there's a surprisingly amount of bowl games that are played in uh, like Birmingham. Uh, no, this one is in Arizona. This one is okay, uh, yeah, in Phoenix. Phoenix. Is that the? Did the Cheez-It Bowl,
1: is that no longer a thing? Did it change I over to the Guaranteed Rate Bowl? Uh, I don't know. Because I know Dude. that... Phoenix would be awesome. That would be a great place. Autos on Liberty Bulls in Philadelphia. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Or no, no, it's in Memphis. Sorry. Wait.
4: Hmm.
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't. Where do they play the Liberty Bowl at? Liberty Bowl is uh Memphis, Philadelphia, Philadelphia? Memphis.
4: Well, I said no. Okay. Memphis is. Why would it be in? The, it's Liberty Bowl. It's got to no, be in Philadelphia. Okay,
1: but but for Wikipedia, hmm? wi, no, I know Wikipedia is very trustworthy. The Liberty it says Bell? it's in Memphis.
4: It might be. I just, I guess, in my head, I was thinking they have the picture of the. They pl- it was Liberty played Bell. in Philadelphia at one point. So they moved it. It it's that's it's all confusing.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't but know. Yeah, that, man. That's that's what's most likely, I guess. I'll just but, say this.
4: What? Why don't you, instead of getting your hopes up for a bowl game, I'm not saying it can't happen, but if you're if you if you're budgeting your keg money accordingly, why don't you just go all out at some of the regular season games? That's true. Since there is no guarantee you're going to make a bowl game. That's true. Go all, mean, out, go all out it.
1: for Duke. Yeah.
4: Yeah, there you go. Or the K-State game. like That could be like a bowl game. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but it's at K-State. Yeah. Okay. I guess my question was, with this guy saying about his cake money, is he saying he's going to like host a watch party or something? Mm. Or is he Are we invited? He's gonna, or is he saying he's going to go specifically to the bowl? I was a bit confused by that. Mm-hmm. I don't
4: know. That's a good question.
1: Okay. But yeah, hopefully if if uh, there is a watch party, we should
4: be invited. I agree, hundred percent. I agree. Uh, This one from Tom: Which week one second string has the best chance to start the soonest? So if we're if we're being clear, like there were no changes of the depth chart from one week to to week two. Now, whether that actually means because we know over the course of the week of practice, maybe somebody else ends up being a starter this week. Who would you go with?
1: Well, okay, so I, we had the discussion about O.J. Burroughs and Marvin Grant. O.J. Burroughs is technically listed as a starter, I think, but they're both playing quite a bit. So Marvin Grant, I guess, I don't, I don't know. Would you, would you qualify that? Would you count that? Let's just knock any
4: of the ores out of the equation.
1: So has that has to be someone who's a, not an or. That knocks a lot of them out of the equation. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I guess Tanaka Scott would be the guy that maybe is the soonest just because of we thought he was going to start already and then now he obviously hasn't because Mm -hmm. of his outstanding situation, but he's coming back, so I guess he would be the soonest. Uh, We talked about Pooney and and Reed Adams. That could be one, uh, depending on which way that goes, I guess. But like Jared Casey, he's an or, Mm -hmm. so we're not counting Jared Casey. No, no. Um,
4: I would think that... Yeah, the the Armage Reed Adams over Pooney one definitely would, would make sense, but I don't think it would happen this week because Pooney looked really good in week one and Reed Adams coming off an injury or whatever's keeping him out. Um but down the road, yes. The linebackers I've mentioned before, like would never be surprising this season if Lorenzo McCaskill or Eric Gilliard ended up, you know, starting down the road. Yeah. But I don't think it happens this but
1: week. The soonest?
4: Exactly. So I I don't think it'd be one of them. But See, I I guess where I'm going with this is I don't think we're going to see really any changes this week. So, it's try to project what a change could look like for week three. So, try to figure out what the scenario would be. We know West Virginia has a veteran offensive line. Struggled in week one, but were good last year. Returned all five starters. We know they have two good running backs, including one really big running back who kind of broke out.
1: Yeah, he's listed as a tight end. Yeah. And they just decided to make him a running back.
4: So... Could there be a game where one of the KU starting linebackers struggles in run defense, and that opens up the door for Lorenzo McCaskill or Eric Gilliard? Yeah, and maybe they're a week three starter
1: after well, they come in. I I mean, maybe you maybe you have something else. But my thought process on this is at least around Lorenzo McCaskill was that Lorenzo McCaskill is there. There is no if he's going to start. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. when. But he came in late learn the playbook, right? I mean, do you think that's a fair assessment of him, or do you think it is something where he's maybe he might not start? Because my, my impression was it's a it's a matter of when, not if, with in regards to McCaskill specifically.
4: I, I've thought that for a while, but, like, the longer we go where – because part of the issue, the more I've thought about this, is that, well, who's he going to start over? Because Craig Young, that's kind of a different position. Yeah. So now you're down to is he going to start over Rich Miller, or is he going to start over Lorenzo McCaskill?
3: Or, or not Lawrence? Uh, yeah, Taiwan
4: Berryhill. Hill. Sorry, yeah. Taiwan Berryhill Hill was just your best graded linebacker in the first week. And Again, it's it's Tennessee Tech. And Rich so, Miller,
2: Rich
1: Miller is a
4: captain. Exactly. So, like, if, maybe the path isn't isn't as clear there as we might have once thought, no. but. Again, what happens if Berry Hill goes out there and struggles against West Virginia, and you bring in Lorenzo McCaskill off the bench, and McCaskill we know is a thumper who's really good at wrapping guys up and tackling them. He has a big game, and then he earns to start the next week.
1: Yeah, or this could be a situation where, and maybe Brian Borland is already kind of planning on this, where specifically from the linebacker standpoint, it's... It, He'll play more linebackers based on the uh, offensive scheme mm-hmm. so if it is more of a running team, maybe we do see more of Lorenzo McCaskill but maybe he's not like quote unquote starting but then it, against other teams maybe it'll be more Barry Hill or whatever right So maybe that's kind of the game plan I don't know maybe they're maybe instead of being like hey we're gonna have whatever X guys be our starting linebackers maybe it might be just kind of a revolving door depending on matchups and depending on opposing offenses or whatever maybe that, maybe that's been the plan all along. That would make a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, that would be the
4: one. Uh, the Armaje-Reed Adams over Pooney. And then, yeah, the Tanaka Scott. Just the, that, That's a little different of a situation. It's just him yeah. kind of earning trust back and, and working his way back in. But I do think that talent-wise and where he was going to be, I think it's just going to take him having a game where he has a couple catches and then maybe he works himself back into the starting lineup.
1: But I do think if we're looking at strictly guys that are listed as not starters mm-hmm. on the depth chart, forget about the Oars. it's probably Marvin Grant would be most impactful or would be starting the soonest I guess so to speak.
4: Yeah, that's a good question. It, you're probably right. Um I mean technically you could go with Jared Casey cuz even though he's yeah. an or he was an or for the number 2 spot. Yeah, he wasn't that's... an or for the number 1. Yeah. But yeah, it it it's it's probably Marvin Grant and that's or one of the corners, you know, like Kalon Gervin, Kobe Bryant, whatever, one of those guys. This one from Jerry. Forget the score of the game. But what player or players struggling would be the worst outcome for KU in the West Virginia game? I mean, the first one that comes to mind is like if Jalen <laughs> Daniels is not good, yeah. Like that time your not quarterback ideal. struggles, that would be bad. Yeah, and then it raises questions about, oh, how good really is he, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if Jalen Daniels just totally flops uh, against West Virginia, that that's that's gonna, I think, raise some eyebrows about. Okay, well, maybe we needed to pump the brakes a little bit on on our on our Ascension here or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be, I think that would be most concerning both specifically for the West Virginia game and also big picture wise also. Right. But if he plays poorly, but it's because the offensive line, couldn't block the offensive line with Swiss cheese, they couldn't block anybody. Then it, you know, that's another one where maybe it does. Maybe it's not as alarming in the West Virginia game specifically, but big picture wise, you'd be thinking, okay, that's, that's not, Mm -hmm. that's pretty concerning.
4: Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I just saw a stat that that popped by on on my timeline that um, the most uh, pressures created by a defense in week one. West Virginia? Number one was Houston. Oh, Houston. So if you have a bad game with the offensive line in week two. Oh, I just, my my brain just... uh... Yeah, my brain just put that together. Well, that's not going to make you feel good <laughs> if the offensive line struggles, and then in week three you're playing a team that just yeah. did that, right? I was a little slow on the uptake there. So. No, you're fine. I, I mean, <laughs> but to your point, like you can easily excuse it if the offensive line does struggle or an offensive lineman struggles. We'll be able to easily say, okay, but the West Virginia defensive line was really good. Dante Stills is a stud. Yeah, I
1: mean, it would have to be like Jalen Daniels would have to get sacked like ten times. Exactly, like that Oklahoma like, game. Yeah, in we'd have to be like,
4: oh no, yeah because they had five sacks on Pittsburgh. So, yeah. We'll be able to easily explain that. I think honestly the answer to me here is if you could pick like like the one player or players of like a position group that you'd least want to have struggle is probably the like go back to the linebackers or maybe the secondary. Yeah. Because if if the linebackers The whole idea is that it's an overhauled group. It's going to help you a bunch in run defense, and that's something you need to get a lot better at. If the linebackers struggle and you're getting run all over, it's going to almost feel like, uh uh-oh, here we go again. The secondary, meanwhile, is just you never want the secondary to struggle, especially early in the season where it's like, oh, we have a problem back here.
1: Would it be crazy to say running backs, like the supposed strength Mm. of this team for KU, they just come out and they can't do anything? They can't break tackles, they can't hit holes, nothing? Like, what? Are you concerned by that? Because I mean, not really. that, that's your biggest strength, and you don't get any production out of it. Like, like maybe even even if the offensive line is like playing pretty well, and mm-hmm. you're still just getting nothing from your running backs.
4: I think that if that happens, we're just going to blame it on the offensive line. Whether I, that's I, fair, or not. I would
1: agree. No, I would agree with that. Well, yeah, whether it's whether it's fair or not, I think that's probably true. Um, but I mean, at some point, you know, you'd have to look at the running backs also.
4: Yeah. Last one is from Paul. Which KU program will have the most successful season this year? So are so I we guess, talking
1: just the fall season? Yeah, or I don't know. Overall,
4: I don't know. I was just gonna say. I guess you can look at this a couple different ways. You can look at it. I I would just assume. For the let's, just the, no, let's just go with the full. No, let's just go with the full full year KU like school year. I guess yeah. Yeah. as opposed to just the year of twenty twenty two. Um so if you're doing that, I think it also comes into effect like what do you deem most successful? Is it based on who you think is going to go the furthest in the postseason or yeah. just who has the best overall season? Obviously, KU basketball, we know they're going to be good. We don't have to spend too much time on that. Um, but if you're going to how far you go in the postseason, like I've mentioned this stat many times, no defending national champion since that 07, Florida or 0607 Florida team has even made it past the Sweet 16. Really? And so you look at like KU Volleyball, they made the Sweet 16 last year.
1: They're in the top 20 or in the top Yeah, they're ranked 15. 19th right they're, now. They're, they're undefeated. Yeah, they've, would looked, it be they've, crazy they've for, looked really good right. so far this year. And they're they really could good. make another
4: Sweet 16. Maybe they could even make an Elite Eight or further or something like that. Yeah. That would be one I would circle. Yeah. Um, I was thinking volleyball too. What about the KU Women's Basketball team? Yeah. I mean, you're I mean, talking about a they've, program.
1: They've been on the, on the up, on the upswing. On they the bring up-tick?
4: back mostly everyone. They lose a couple key players, but you bring back. Uh, most of your really important players from last season, which you made the second round of the NCAA tournament, yep. what happens if they get you know a four seed or a three seed in the NCAA tournament? They compete
1: almost. And I was watching that game against Stanford. They were. They were in it. In the first hanging half. around, yeah. yeah, they were kind of hanging around, you know, and then and then Stanford just started being Stanford, but <laughs> right. They were they were in that for
4: so a little bit. I think honestly, that's my answer. I I think that if you're going by regular season, I would take KU men's basketball. Yeah. So, like, because KU men's basketball will probably be a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I can see the KU women's team competing for the Big 12. Maybe they get a three or four seed. KU volleyball, I exactly. could see them hosting, being a top 16 team, but maybe not the top five to eight range that KU men's basketball is. But then I think because of just that, it's just so hard to continually have success in the men's basketball NCAA tournament. I'm going to go with either KU women's basketball or KU volleyball to have the deepest run.
1: And in terms of the of the spring sports, you got a new head coach for baseball, so Exciting, yeah. the expectations probably aren't very high. So I don't really know what that would look like. And then the softball team—I don't even really know how they did last year, but that's kind of a look at the spring sports, I guess. But track and yeah. field always does well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would agree with you. I would probably go with volleyball, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, just because I think they're already they're looking really good right now. And and like you said, they're a team that could definitely make a run in the tournament.
4: He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our KU Mailbag brought to you by Monterey Village. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Nick's going to take it from here. I'm going to go get ready for High School Sports Weekly. Come on out to Burgers by Biggs. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Nickel, well, no, I'll be on the Florida Man Mad Lib, so we'll, we'll talk in a little. This is RCST.
1: This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on 1320 AM, 101.7 FM, KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, joined in studio by Sam Speck for what is my favorite segment of the week. Oh, yes. Florida Man Mad Libs. And for those that are new to the show or haven't heard the segment, it's it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. Basically, Sam here has concocted up some headlines. He's found some headlines. He's gone down into the dumps. He's gone deep into the doldrums of the internet to locate some crazy, wild headlines. And he has taken those headlines and placed strategic blanks in them. And I will then try to guess what the blank is in the headline in order to complete the headline. Now, it
0: does look like we are going to have some changes being made, and the only reason why is because, obviously, tonight here on KLWN, guess what? we got Chesty Lions football coming up a little bit later today. we got High School Sports Weekly. we got all of that jazz, and then, of course, pregame into the game here on Thursday. Uh, That does not actually precede all of the Thursday games. There's a a handful of free state games on Thursday, so it does look like we will be changing the date of Florida Man Headlines to Wednesday.
1: Yep, we're going to move the segment to Wednesdays because, Derek has is hosting the High School Sports Weekly, which is That's at right. Burgers by Biggs. And so he's out of the studio right now, going to set up for that, which will start right at six o'clock immediately following Rock Chalk. Bit Sports of a Talk. conflict there. So yeah. we are going to move this segment to Wednesdays. So if you are an avid listener, which I don't understand how you couldn't be. This segment's awesome. Oh, I love it. We're gonna move it to, we're gonna move it to Wednesdays in the five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So no Derek today, unfortunately, it's just the two of us, but still I'm really excited for it. Now,
0: okay. again, Derek may be listening off-camera and I may give him, uh, or off-camera, off-microphone, off-camera, I may give him a separate set of, uh, of points here just so. But unfortunately for you, Nick, uh, Derek got quite the advantage last week. He took a huge leap in terms of the standings. Derek's jumped back into first place. However, again, you are playing alone this week. So, Dude, let's last just, week, I couldn't get anything. That right. was pretty it brutal. It was so horrible. That was pretty rough. So, again, we are missing out on Derek this week which is why again we are moving it to Wednesday so we can all have the fun together we can all be a part yep. of this but Derek is uh again burgers by bigs tonight don't miss out on that and then LHS football later here on KLWN yeah, Free really. state football tomorrow on uh, on the bowl and then of course KU football over the weekend
1: yeah basically starting tonight we're going to be packed with sports content for the rest of the weekend with
0: it, it basically started last week yeah it was last week really. yeah, yeah. Ma-
1: Lawrence High. Tonight, free state tomorrow night. Yep. K football on Saturday. So,
0: all right. Well, let's get to it. Florida man headlines here on KLWN. My favorite of the week. It is uh, a Florida man denies drinking and driving, and here's why for you, okay. Nick. Because There's he says it. he he says he only drank while he was at stop signs. So I guess that's some ah. sort of rationalization. Or okay, but
1: <laughs> is he is he missing
0: the part where if you're drunk driving, ah. then it doesn't matter. I think when they say drinking and driving, some people take it it too literally. I have to be drinking while driving. All right, let's get into the first round here where, again, first round is only worth one point. It's one redacted word. Uh, So here is the one redacted word from the Florida Man headline. And it is actually from Florida. So a runaway pig, a runaway pig, not a man, a runaway (laughs) pig. (laughs) I, I, I guess you could maybe describe them as that. But runaway pig was lured by Florida deputies by blank. You were you were okay. three blanks. So a smoked ham. <laughs> okay, and, and that's, that's just uh, yeah, messed up. That's that's, that's pretty bad. That's just messed up. You're talking Could be, can, we're cannibalism, from cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my! God. Uh, Doritos, by the way, uh, okay. nacho, nacho cheese Doritos, okay, or you know, raw the best kind. raw cowboins, uh, bones, raw cow bones. So you okay. you always got the you've got the the marrow in there. Maybe something that uh, uh, an animal would look towards. But yeah. again, a runaway pig was lured home by Florida deputies by blank. Whether that is a smoked ham, certainly the most.
3: Yeah, I'm Senile,
0: not uh, a yeah, you know, picture you know pick out of that Doritos or raw cow bones. I just food. I just really hope it's not
1: smoked ham so I'm not going to pick it. I think raw cow bones makes the most sense, but it could be Doritos. I mean, I don't know, maybe pigs really like Doritos. So just for the fun of it,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Doritos. Give me, well, give me Doritos. And see, this is the theme that I was hoping you guys would get out of these Florida men. It was Doritos. Let's so go. Nick coming away with a point. Runaway pig was lured home by Florida deputies by Doritos. All right, we got one point there. And again, if uh, if Derek is listening right now, I will get to him separately. We will get him a separate set of questions so we can at least keep this uh, as as uh, the integrity as, as oh, solid yes. no, as possible is, here. Yes. So because you find yourself down pretty far, but nonetheless, you did get the first round. <laughs> okay, so you're, now, you're, now, we sec- in, now we get to the second. Now we get now we get to the second round where there's two redacted words, Kay. and I will repeat those redacted words after I name the blank. So Minnesota. Not Florida man, but Minnesota deputies reel in blank stranded on a waterborne blank. So we'll start with the first one again. Interesting one. Minnesota deputies, uh, excuse me. Minnesota deputies reel in blank stranded on a waterborne blank. So Minnesota deputies reel in a boat, a tiger, or a woman stranded on a waterborne blank. So of these three, again,
1: the waterborne blank is really throwing me off. But I think I don't think it's a boat.
0: That'd be too obvious, right? Yeah, I don't
1: yeah. think Minnesota has tigers, do they?
0: I I feel if like there's do, a zoo I mean, up there, but if okay, it got okay, on it a raft, a like, it could be a zoo. No, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be we'll from the zoo. Uh,
1: I'm going to go with I'm going to go with woman here. Okay, woman. I I don't know. I don't think Minnesota has that. I mean, it could be a zoo, I guess, but I don't think they have types.
0: And how it ended up near any of a lake, or so, I guess it's the land of a thousand, ten thousand lakes, or whatever yeah, it is up true. there in Minnesota. So who yeah. knows? Uh, but again, Minnesota deputies reel in blank, stranded on a waterborne unicorn. Okay. A waterborne raft, or a waterborne pool noodle. You know what a pool noodle is? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. yeah the a flotation device. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. okay
1: but see, I think. The unicorn could be also a flotation device here. It could be like a unicorn floaty. So, I'm thinking about that. A pool noodle... Here's the deal. Speaking from experience, one single pool noodle does not keep you afloat if you're in water. So, unless she had multiple pool noodles, I don't think it's pool noodles. And what was the other option? A uh, raft. Okay, raft. An inflatable raft, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that one's possible, but I I think this is a trick. I'm picking unicorn. I think it's... I think. The lady was on a, an inflatable unicorn, that she somehow fell into a, a lake or something. Somehow entered the lake, and was stuck on the inflatable unicorn. You know, you know how you can get like those little those. They're usually like for like little kids, little inflatables with like unicorns on them and stuff. Oh, that's absolutely! Yeah, the shapes or yep, whatever. that's what I'm envisioning. There's a lady on that, and she needed to be reeled in by Minnesota deputies. Give me
0: unicorn. You don't think that it's a it's a tiger on a raft or a tiger on a pool noodle? No, just, you're you're uh, 100 actually, Nick. This is another three point game oh, from you. Go. That's what I'm saying. Minnesota deputies reel in a woman on a unicorn, and you're right. It was the it. shape of yep. the raft. It was yep. an inflatable raft uh, by any means. So there is three points there for but Nick. I'm he curious, is making some game. I'm
1: curious how that lady must have gotten to that situation. Like what? It's I mean, pretty
0: bold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like what happened? I mean, was she? Like, and it was in the last. Couple of months, so I guess it's summertime, you know. Maybe yeah. summertime going yeah. out on the lake, yeah, trying to on get lake, to you know, maybe if know. you drink know, some maybe
1: she,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, All right, here we go. Number two of the second round again, both of these are three points if you get both of them, one point if you get one man blank for directing traffic while blank. Yes, yeah. Have your imagination run wild with this one. Man blank for directing traffic while blank. So the first one, I know we have to hurry here a little bit. Oh, we got time. Um, But man was either arrested, praised, or commended for directing traffic while blank. So man was either arrested, praised, or commended. For directing traffic while pranked now this didn't have an origin it did not say florida man i okay. don't know where this comes out of but uh okay i think interesting nonetheless
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for praised i think this was All a right. guy where there was like an accident or something and this man took action and he directed traffic and he was praised for I like doing that. so I like that a, you know we're trying to go for a, a positive something positive
0: <laughs> here well well, let's get to the second redacted <laughs> yeah, term I'm here. So, a man, here. <laughs> a man blank for directing traffic while blank the second for direct for directing traffic while blind, while urinating, or while escaping police. So, of those three, again, okay. a man, okay. you said praised. So, a man praised, praised yep. arrested, or commended for directing traffic while either blind, urinating, or escaping police.
1: Okay, I am going to say escaping police. Oh. Now, picture this. The guy's trying to get away from the cops. Oh, he's, he's, he's in a not. He's not in a good. He's not in a good spot. He's not in a good shape. That's fantastic. But there, he at, on while well, on the run, he encounters an, a car accident that he was not involved in. So what does this guy do? <laughs> he hops out of his car that he was running away from the police from, and he starts helping the people and directing traffic. The cops show up. They're like, "Wow, this guy's such a great upstanding citizen. Look at this man directing traffic, to save the people that are in the car accident." He gets praised. He probably still would get arrested though, but I he got praised. He got praised for
0: <laughs> for directing traffic while on the run. That seems so logical and the reason why I laugh so much is because literally it was a man arrested for directing traffic while urinating.
1: Uh, uh, it couldn't have <laughs> it couldn't Man, I came up with this beautiful elaborate story.
0: Came up with a beautiful guy, theory as to why there's a guy in the middle of an intersection. Uh, Directing traffic for some whatever reason. I like my Uh, story better. Yours is a thousand (laughs) times better. You came away with no points there. However, you have four points so far. We get to the final second round question here. Again, two words will be redacted. Uh, A Florida man arrested for eating blank in the middle of a blank. Okay. Okay. Okay, so let's blank. get to this. Uh, so a Florida man was arrested for eating a blank in the middle of a blank. The first blank, a Florida man was arrested for eating rabbit bones, okay. pancakes, okay. or raw chicken <laughs> in the middle of a blank. Wow, I don't really like any of those options. It's a pretty bold one. Yeah, this is kind of out there. In the middle of... Oh,
1: I'm trying to... Def-
0: Oh, well we're thinking about okay. eating here. We're thinking about okay. eating think Ford have okay. arrested for eating rabbit bones, pancakes, or raw chicken in the I middle of think a blank. It might be
1: raw chicken. I don't okay. think it's pancakes. And rabbit rabbit bones is like It's out there. It's like yeah, it's it's so psychotic that I don't think it could possibly be true. <laughs> like I I like, I don't even think I don't even think anybody in real life would do that. Like you'd have to be very messed up <laughs> to, to do that. Pancakes, I was tempted by pancakes. But I'm gonna go with raw chicken because I think he was probably eating it. in I mean, we'll see what the options are for the raw, for where he was eating it at. But I think it's gonna be. I think it's. I'm going with raw chicken.
0: Okay, so a Florida man was arrested for eating blank in the middle of a blank in the middle of an intersection, a church service, or a city commission meeting. So a Florida man was arrested for eating oh, blank in the middle of an intersection, church service, or a city commission meeting. My
1: gut told me church service, but city commission meeting has me interested. Okay, you ready for this theory? Yeah, let's hear it. I'm gonna go a city commission meeting, and here's why. Uh, let's hear it. I'm guessing that PETA or whatever other human rights organization <laughs> was at a city commission meeting for some reason. They wanted, there was some something going on where they wanted something from the city commission to say, "Hey, we gotta protect animal rights." And there was an upset man at the city commission meeting who said, "You know what? Just despite you, PETA, I am going to eat this raw chicken at the city commission meeting." That is why I think it's a city commission meeting.
0: I kind of like that because we've seen that in terms of uh, protests terms or something of, yeah, like in terms that. Of uh, things like yeah, I don't think it's that far-fetched. You did get one point here, but it was an intersection. A man actually stopped his car, and put it in park, and then presumed to eat raw chicken in the middle of an intersection, <gasps> which obviously uh, impeded traffic. Yeah, why would he do that? So he's in the middle of traffic and was uh, pulled over and arrested But uh, at the time of the arrest, he was uh, eating raw chicken. So rather random there. Gentlemen, thank you again. Yeah, Yeah. I got one. Well, you got one on there. Actually, you made up quite a bit of ground. Again, I will get with Derek and we will do a little bit of off-screen (laughs) points just because we've had a little bit of issues kind of getting him the sound here this evening and things like that. did want to say this, by the way. Uh, I had mentioned that the Free State game tomorrow is on 92.9 The Bull. It's, it's, it's actually right here on KLWN. So I did yep. want to make that uh, that correction there real quickly. But, again, thanks for Nick Springer being the, the birth child of this uh, entire segment. Got to love it. One of my favorite parts of the week. Thank you, Derek, as well. Hopefully we get some sound. Uh, again, High School Sports Weekly coming up beyond 6 o'clock. Yep. Remainder of Rock Chalk uh, Sports Talk coming up. And, uh, again, thank you so much, Nick. And, thank uh, you, And Sam. Derek as well.
1: This segment... We'll be moving to Wednesdays, by the way. Wednesdays in the 5 o'clock hours is when we're going to move it to. But, uh, Sam, thank you as always for bringing the great headlines. I got a couple right, so I'll take that. But we're going to take a break. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN.